0: You got your Acts journals with you. This morning, your Bibles. We're going to be in Acts, uh, the the tenth chapter, starting in verse one. So last Friday, Dada and I were invited to do something we'd never done before, and she ended up being called out of town, and so I I got to go on my own, and I had the privilege of being invited to speak to the men and women of our recovery church family. I'm not, I'm not in recovery myself, but I know a lot of people. I love a lot of people who are. And I could have been made to feel like a fish out of water walking into that place. And I I was reminded very quickly of what it feels like to be a visitor in somebody else's church for the first time. Some of you are probably feeling that way this morning. Friday night, I felt it as well. Well, then on top of that, I'm being asked to to stand up in front and to share a message with them. But instead of feeling like a fish out of water, as I was speaking, I, I realized they're all listening very intently and And as I'm looking at faces, I see kindness and acceptance and brothers and sisters who are all trying to figure out their own issues in life, just like I am, just like you are. And I realized it was one of the greatest blessings I've had in a long time. And I tell you this because the men and women who were there welcomed me without question or qualification. And it occurred to me that's exactly what we're trying to do in this place. We're just trying to welcome people wherever you are in your life. And I realized on Friday night, I was a visitor in a place that is exactly what God's church should be. That's what we should be because that's what God has done with us. We're going to look in Acts at a man today who has nothing in common with anybody who is a believer in the Scripture to this point. He was an outsider for all intent and purpose. And yet they welcomed me, they invited me, they accepted me without any qualifications on Friday night, and I realized that all of us are at the same place, all of us, we just need Jesus. And that's what church is all about, and so to the men and the women of Recovery Church who welcomed me on Friday night into your church, thank you. It was, an, it was just an unbelievable experience for me, and I am so grateful for you for doing that, so thank you. We're going to take a look at a guy today. Uh, who was welcomed into the Christian church in his own way. He had not, has nothing in common with the rest of the believers at this point. All of the believers have been Jewish. We start out learning a lot about the disciples in the New Testament and the few people that they start reaching, and there's some healings, and there's some conversions, and then the Holy Spirit comes, and there's a whole bunch of people that come to faith, but they're all Jewish. This guy today is more like you and I than than anybody else that we've met. Uh, He has nothing in common with the rest of the believers other than a, a faith in God and a willingness to follow where God would lead him. And so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to read Acts 10, verses 1 to 8. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what is known as the Roman cohort, a devout man who feared God with all of his household and gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the, of the day, he saw uh, clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who was called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon, a tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent the men to Joppa. Cornelius is a Gentile. He's a Roman. He has position. He already knows God along with his whole household. He's generous and he prays, but he's different than everybody else that we've met. This is a good thing because if you and I lived 2,000 years ago in the day that this book was being written, we would be the different ones. We would be the ones that were unlike everybody else the Bible has been written about so far. We would be the ones who are on the outside. And so there's some history because we kind of think that we're in the, in the center of everything that's happening. There's some history that we need to understand that has happened up until this point both in, in the text But also in our world. The Bible says the Jewish people are God's chosen people. There's a lot of discussion about that. I was on a flight a few years ago to Israel. And sitting next to Deidre against the window was a very quiet man that had a yarmulke on his head. And he stopped and prayed for a while. And we got into a conversation. He was a Jewish rabbi. And I said, that's fascinating. Can we talk? Because I've never had an opportunity to talk to one of you guys. I'm a Christian pastor. And somehow or another, he got closer to the window. When I said that, and I said, I, I, "I really would just like to get to know you a little bit more." And he said, "Why?" And I said, "Because well, I told him where we lived, and I said, "There's not a lot of Jewish rabbis in my little town in Minnesota." And he goes, "What do you care?" And I looked at him and I said, "Well, you're our spiritual ancestors. I care a lot." And he goes, "What kind of church do you go to?" And I said, "A Christian church." And he goes, but Christian churches in America don't care about the Jews. Oh, ours does. And we had this incredible conversation. And the fact of the matter is, and, and it was like I had to remind him, you're God's chosen people. We are your spiritual ancestors. And, and I don't think we always understand that. As Christians, we don't think about the Judeo part of our Judeo-Christian heritage. It says back in Deuteronomy 7, for you are a people holy to the Lord. Excuse me. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, God has chosen the Jewish people to be his own. The Bible makes that very, very clear. Because of that, history, rather, people throughout history, have been unspeakably horrible and cruel to the Jewish people. If you say, well, what is it that they've done wrong? Well, nothing but they're God's chosen people. And if you look at what's happening to Christians in America and throughout the world today, we tend to start feeling sorry for ourselves when things aren't as easy as we remember they used to be in whatever the good old days were. Well, the fact is what we've experienced as Christians in this country is nothing compared to what's happened to God's chosen people throughout history. We don't even cast a shadow on it. If you go back and you take a look at what has happened up to this point, the Israelites have been attacked and had war waged on them for millennia. It's this tiny little country in the Middle East, and yet all the world seems so focused on it and the things that happen there. Why? Because they're God's chosen people. They've been taken prisoner and they've been made slaves in Egypt. They wandered for 40 years. Their religion and their worship and their practices have been outlawed by invading kings, and they haven't been allowed to practice their religion They've been the target of hate and persecution and murder by a whole lot of people, including Christians and Muslims and maybe most famously Adolf Hitler. Adolf Hitler decided they were the cause of all the world's problems, and he slaughtered six million Jews in World War II. But his hatred and bigotry didn't end there. He was so convinced that he was right that he went after people who had disabilities and, and blacks and Jehovah's Witnesses and homosexuals, anybody who was different than him. He went after and started attacking and he convinced the German people to go along with him and his incredibly murderous ways by, you know, he controlled the media and what people heard and what they read. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he starts demonizing God's chosen people, villainizing them, creating hatred and distrust amongst the people toward God's chosen people where there had been none before. And it was completely unjustified. And why does this matter? Because there are spiritual ancestors And what we're about to read about with this man, Cornelius, is the first time that God's Holy Spirit has moved in this way outside of the Jewish people. It's the first time that a Gentile has been brought into the Christian church. And so they're they're one of the, the tragic examples, the Jewish people in their history is a tragic example of what can be the cost of being a believer in God. You don't have to go very far in the news and you hear someone somewhere. In fact, there was a group of 17 missionaries that was just kidnapped because they were on a mission trip to Haiti. No other reason that they were Christian missionaries. And I have to believe it's because the unbelieving world hates to be reminded of their sinfulness and what it is that a believer in God really stands for. And that there is a higher power than what some humans have as just an insatiable thirst for power. The Jews have been a target of hatred since the beginning of history. In fact, we've got people in office in this country who are screaming and having news conferences and and tweeting and doing all kinds of stuff against the nation of Israel. Why? Because they're different. They're different than you and they're different than me. Their faith is a little bit different. Maybe some of them have an appearance that's a little bit different. But you know why it's important? And this is why it, it matters to me. There are spiritual ancestors And because churches can become enclaves of that kind of hatred. Churches can become places where we just get people who all look alike and think alike and act alike. And are similarly prejudiced. And this isn't going to be one of those churches. You've heard me say forever that, you know, when you come in here, we believe that what God's doing in you right now today, you can be an entirely different person tomorrow than you were yesterday. But you know what? People need other people's help. On Friday night, man, that could have gone differently for me. But you know what? I was welcomed and received in love and appreciation and respect. And I hope everybody that comes to this place feels the same way. You've heard me talk about this before. God uses this incredible palette of color when he created humans. Cornelius looked different than the rest of the people this far in the New Testament. But, you know, God gave us the ability and the capacity to be unique and to be different from each other. And what an incredible thing that is. Because a quilt, and you hear me talk about a quilt, a quilt that's made up of all the same pieces is just a blanket. But a quilt that's made up of different sections and different patterns and different colors is a thing of beauty beauty because of the color and the diversity. And Cornelius is different. And we've got to take a moment and let that sink in that this is a guy that isn't like everybody else. He's unlike all of the other ones. He isn't Jewish. In fact, he's a Roman centurion. He's one of the guys who has been put in charge of keeping the Jewish people in their place. He's seen as the enemy by a lot of folks. But he's also what all of us who are not Jewish are. He's a Gentile. And we need to understand that difference. He's more like you and I than you and I are like any of the disciples. And so when we put ourselves in the positions of people in the Bible and we say, well, I want to be just like him or I want to be just like her, we've got to realize oftentimes there are some significant differences. He's different in a lot of ways. He's a foreign man who has a title. He has rank. He has position. He has privilege. He's very opposite the first disciples. Think about who those guys were. The guys that Jesus made his disciples were fishermen, a tax collector, a bunch of guys that the rest of the world just kind of ignored when they walked around. The fishermen smelled funny. The shepherds, you know, there's an awful lot of them in the New Testament. They were ignored by everybody else. The tax collector, he was hated by everyone. Cornelius is similar, but he's completely different. And the thing that's cool is if you think the Bible's only full of important and impressive people, you couldn't be more wrong. Because the Bible is filled with ordinary men and women who have lived, left an extraordinary footprint in history because of God in their lives. And, and you and I, we're called to do the same thing. And what we're going to see in Cornelius is how it is that we can do that. Why is it important? It's important because we're about to celebrate Christmas. And the baby Jesus was brought into a world just like the brand new Christian church was that was full of hatred. It was full of darkness and prejudice. Prejudice Jews against Gentiles. Gentiles against each other. And just generally speaking, people who had prejudices because of different faiths and different colors. But Cornelius is welcome. See, God isn't a God of prejudice. God isn't a God who draws differences between people. God draws us together. God is holy. God is love. God is faithful. So here's Cornelius, the first Gentile convert in the Christian church. And like him, we can be devout and we can be faithful and we can be willing to be obedient. And so that's what's here for us to learn today. So in the third verse, it says, Out about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, <coughs> Luke gives a timestamp. stamp. Luke is good at that. It isn't just that it happened. It happened at the ninth hour of the day. We would call that three o'clock in the afternoon. He goes on and he records, he says this vision that Cornelius saw clearly. I think what Luke wanted to make sure we understood is that he wasn't having a hard time, that he had dehydrated in the desert sun, hadn't been drinking, wasn't daydreaming. This vision happened and he saw clearly what was going on. It was a vision of an angel of God that came to Cornelius. And it begins to speak to him and he says, and he stared at him in terror. Cornelius did, stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? Okay, stop for a moment. We've heard about God speaking to people in visions and in dreams. And we've heard about voices that happen when Saul is on the road. What happens if you had such a lifelike vision that you knew you couldn't deny it was real? And in that vision, an angel comes to you because angels also come in real life. What would be your response? I think mine would be like Cornelius. It would be terror. And what's interesting is in this vision, because it wasn't in real life, the angel doesn't say fear not. It seems like most times an angel appears... And it shows up to somebody in real life, they say, fear not, because what's the first thing that happens? Terror. Why? Because angels aren't like us either. Angels aren't cute little blonde-haired babies that have tiny little cute bows that we've turned into Cupid. Angels are the heavenly host. They're the armies of God. Angels are fearsome creatures, which is why when people see them, they say, fear not. Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a centurion of all things, is filled with terror. I have a feeling I would be too. But what about you? What would happen if an angel showed up and you recognizes that it was God? Would you say yes, Lord? Would you say who are you? Would you wake up in a in a terror filled sweat? Would you be obedient to whatever it said? So an angel starts talking to Cornelius, his first Gentile convert calls upon the name of the Lord. What is it, Lord? It sounds an awful lot like Saul on the road to Damascus. What is it, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And he says to him, your prayers, the angel speaks to Cornelius, he says, your your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. This is so important. It's so easy to pray when we don't hear or feel anything back to think that God either doesn't hear us or that God ignores us. The Bible tells us, Luke records, this is a prayerful man. He's a faithful man and he prays. He's generous. And the angel says to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What the angel is saying, you've been heard, Cornelius. You've prayed. God has listened. God has heard you. When you pray, whether you hear or feel anything or not, God hears you. You have been heard. When you pray, God hears your prayers. When you cry out, God hears you. When you question, God hears you. When you're afraid, God hears you. When you're angry, God hears you. God hears your prayers. When you call on the name of Jesus, God hears you. Cornelius, this man who wasn't Jewish, he wasn't even a Christian. The angel comes to him and says, God has heard your prayers. So if you pray, do you pray in thanksgiving? Do you pray in pain? Do you pray in fear? Do you pray because you have nothing else to do? Do you pray? Because if you do, God hears your prayers. And he goes on and he says, Now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. We've just had this recorded just like this earlier in the book of Acts. Immediately, Cornelius is given a task. This guy who's faithful, who's prayerful, whose whole family knows God in some way, shape, or form. The angel comes to him and he recognizes him as God. And the very first thing the angel does is give him a task. And the task is to send men to Joppa and bring Simon. Being a follower of Jesus is an active thing. Being a follower of Jesus means we're called to be obedient. And God asks for our immediate obedience, not later when we feel like it, not when we've gone to church for a few years, not when we've memorized enough Bible verses that we feel comfortable. When God calls us to obedience, which God does very early on in our life of faith, when God calls us to obedience, he expects us to respond in faith and in action. And yet so often we make up all these other excuses in order to hold on to our own life. And yet obedience as a follower of Jesus is love in action. Verse 7, when the angel spoke to him, had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. So one of the soldiers was also a faithful man. This guy had an influence. He was already beginning to share what he knew of God with people around him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. And Cornelius was immediately obedient to the command of God. The angel comes and says, your prayers have been heard, now go. The hard thing is what God tells us is when we accept Jesus as our Savior and we know that we've been been saved, our salvation is secure, God tells us to go too. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus says, now go therefore. It's what this place has been built on for 11 years is telling your friends and your neighbors and your family and the people you work with about Jesus. And God gives a command immediately, immediately to him to go. There's a lot in this passage that's here for us. It's a small passage that's packed full of so much. This is where the way, which is what the early Christian church is called, that's full of Jesus' followers, moves out in the power of the Holy Spirit and begins to draw Gentiles. Had God not done that, we would be some other religion today. We would be something other than Christians. And yet God decided very early on in the Christian church, even though the Jewish people are his chosen people, to extend his love and grace and mercy and salvation in Jesus to anyone who would believe in him. That's important because you and I are non-Jewish. You maybe have had people who have spoken out against you because you're a believer in Jesus. You maybe have had people who have made fun of you. Maybe you've had people that have tried to make you feel bad because... That's what people who don't believe try to do to get us to be quiet. It's what's happened to the Jewish people for millennia. But here's the thing. When we use Jesus as our example, we don't need to speak out against others who are speaking out against us. We don't even need to provide a defense. If you remember when Jesus was put on trial, what does it say about him? He was silent before his accusers. It isn't that we've got to stand and defend ourselves. We're called to preach the name of Jesus. See, we can be the church that God has called and created us to be because all of the Christian churches should be similar. And the way that we talk about it around here is very, very similar. So here's what I want to leave you with. I want to leave you with this thought. This is something you hear a lot as we come into Christmas. Who needs to hear this message from you? We're going to talk a little bit later about those cards that you can invite people to church on Christmas Eve. What is it that we try to do here as a church? We're called to love Jesus, to love people, and to teach people to love Jesus. It's so simple. And when we, when we know who those people are, when we know who doesn't, and we start praying for them, God hears those prayers. If all you ever do is pray about yourself and your problems and your troubles and the things that aren't going right, your prayer life is going to end real quick because it's going to get boring. But when you start praying for other people, that God begins to work in other people's hearts, that God begins to change other people's lives, your prayer life is going to ignite and be on fire, because you're going to see God at work in the world in ways you never have before. So what are we here to do as a church? We're here to do what I experienced on Friday night, to love Jesus and to love people and to teach people to love Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we enter this Christmas season, as we're, we're into the season of Advent, we're looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus. We're looking forward to the opportunity that we have once again to celebrate you coming to earth in the form of a baby, a baby who grew up as a child, who became a man, who spent three years talking about you and your kingdom. And then as a sign of your love for us, God, he he walked to the cross, even though he had done nothing wrong. And your love was there for all the world to see as Jesus died. And then you raised Him from the grave that our sins could be forgiven. And God, that's the single greatest message that we're ever going to have to share with anybody. Whether it's Advent or Christmas or any other season of the year. That you love us so much. You love us so much that you sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do for ourselves and that's to bring us back into a right relationship with you. God, you love us right where we are but you love us too much to keep us there. And truly God, Who we were yesterday does not define who we can be in you tomorrow. Thank you for Cornelius. Thank you for this first Gentile convert. Thank you for his faithfulness, and thank you for his obedience. It's a simple passage, but there's so much there for how it is that we can live our lives. God, help us to be people who love you and who put that love into action through obedience to your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. And those three things, love Jesus, love people, teach people to love Jesus. That's so easy. It's, it's easy to find problems with people. It's easy to see differences with people. But you know what? God sees us as all of his children. And we've got the opportunity to tell people about one of those pieces that maybe they've never heard of. And that's the most important piece of all. That's Jesus and how much he loves us.